to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Sunday, September 13th, week 9 of the Fantasy Baseball waiver season. Michael Beller here with Derek Van Riper. There's a lot to talk about again today, Beller. Lots of streaming pitchers, a few closer situations in flux. Unfortunately, a lot of hitter injuries have opened up playing time for some hitters that might be of interest for the stretch run, so we're going to get right to it. Let's start with starting pitchers, where Jose Urquidy still not universally rostered, which is a surprise to me. I mean, he's owned, I think, in 100% of NFBC main event leagues at this point, but uh, he went deep enough in his last start where you're really not worried about workload restrictions for him. He's got a matchup against Texas coming up this week, and I think of the pitchers we're going to discuss today, he's easily the most skilled of the bunch. I, I can't even think of a reason why he's not universally rostered at this point. So uh, is there any case against Urquidy with that matchup against the Rangers this week? I don't think so, especially if you need to add a starting pitcher. Like you said, he pretty much should be universally owned. He's easily the most talented of the guys uh, that he's got or that we've got coming up and the matchups that he's got coming up uh, really don't scare you in any sort of way. So this is a pretty easy plug-and-play ad sort of situation if he's out there. I feel like it's so obvious that the places where he isn't owned has to be circumstantial, has to be like leagues that have given up on this season or something along those lines because this is just such an obvious ad. Now, we're still talking about a guy who's only had about 50 career regular season innings at the big league level. Of course, he pitched really well in the postseason for the Astros last year. But Urquidy now has a 43-13 to strikeout-to-walk ratio in 50 and two-thirds innings, a 391 ERA, a 113 whip. The skills are there. I think he's a top 40 starting pitcher looking ahead to 2021. So there's no reason why you shouldn't trust him with a home matchup against Texas. It gets messy from there, though. Like, Every other pitcher I wrote about in the column, every other pitcher that's available in most leagues is going to bring some flaws to the table. But LJ Newsom kind of stood out to me as the next best option. Uh, he's a rookie in Seattle. It's really a command first profile, and the stuff is still developing, still somewhat of a question. The one thing you do got to keep an eye on with Newsom, he was hit by a comebacker in his last start, uh, so he's got a bruised hand. Technically, day-to-day, he is expected to make his next start, which comes at home against San Francisco. There's kind of a two-part question here. I mean, One, do you trust Newsom as a guy with very little big league experience? This will only be his third big league start and fourth appearance overall. And, you know, so far, 7Ks, no walks in those eight and a third innings that he's pitched. Do you trust a matchup against San Francisco when you consider how good the Giants' offense has actually been? It's been one of the more pleasant surprises of this season. They're sixth in terms of Team WRC+. Are you comfortable picking on them with that matchup, or are you comfortable doing it with Newsom in particular? Yeah, I don't love it, but like you said, it's pretty much a mess behind Urquidy when we're looking at likely available starting pitchers. So if you need a pitcher, you're in a very pure beggars can't be choosers situation and I do think that Newsom when you look at the rest of the guys we're going to talk about and you'll hear all those guys very shortly uh probably the best of the bunch so it, it, it makes me more interested in chasing him as you said incredibly limited sample uh, of what we've seen from him in the majors so far but the thing that interests me most if I'm going to latch onto something from the actual performance and the actual numbers is the zero walks uh, that doesn't happen by accident even over just seven innings so yeah I feel I feel pretty decent um, about uh, about him being able to be a guy who lives in the strike zone be a guy who forces hitters to earn their way on so 
I'll trust him for that. I don't love the matchup. I don't necessarily love the, the underlying skill set here. But again, beggars can't be choosers. If I need a pitcher and I can't get Urquidy, he's probably the guy I turn to first. Yeah, you look at some of the other names and uh, a lot of Royals coming up in this discussion right. and perhaps one guy who will face them. Although we learned on Saturday, Brett Anderson, who was lined up to face Kansas City at home late next week, he was scratched from a start on Saturday due to right hip tightness. So whether he's able to make it back into the rotation next week is very much an unknown. I think that really sort of tempers your bid, even really changes some of the situations in which you'd actually bid on him. And, of course, the problem with Brett Anderson is that he doesn't strike a lot of guys out. Uh, but that was just a case where streaming at home against the Royals made a lot of sense because he's widely available. And you're looking for win probability at this point in the season, too, in a lot of cases. You're not always going to find somebody that can bring 8 to 10 strikeouts to the table as a potential in-start sort of ceiling. Uh, but let's break down these Royals for a second, because Chris Bubik, Jake Junis, and Brady Singer are actually pretty widely available. The ratios are not pretty. We're talking about two rookies and, and one guy in Junis who has been on and off the fantasy mixed league radar now for parts of a couple of seasons. Mm -hmm. Of those three... Is there one that you really believe in the most where you have Bubik and Singer facing the Brewers on the road? Brewers have been striking out a ton this season. And then Junis actually draws the Tigers on the road, so he gets a slightly easier matchup. Yeah, can I actually do sort of the reverse here and say there's one guy I won't trust and then I'll sort of let it decide between the other two? It's Junis is the guy who I don't want. And it's because of exactly the reason you said. We know what he is. On and off the fantasy radar for a few years now, he's a streamer in ideal conditions at best. And even in those ideal conditions, sometimes that stream play doesn't come through. I'm just not really particularly interested in a guy like that. I want to believe in something beyond just circumstances leading a guy into my fantasy lineup. So I would take him out of the equation. I would go to Bubik or to Singer. And I guess I'll go with Singer. You do like the fact that even though this is a tougher matchup, as you said, the Brewers have been striking out quite a bit this year. And while Singer has been, I don't know if you would characterize this rookie year as a mild disappointment, I think that's probably fair. We did see what the ceiling can be in that outing against the Indians when he held them hitless for seven and two-thirds. And, you know, when the stuff comes together for him, he can still be a pretty effective pitcher. We can expect him to be a relatively effective pitcher uh, as he's winding up his rookie season. So he's the one who jumps out at me. If Bubik was the guy who jumped out at you, I wouldn't think you were crazy. I think Junis is the guy that you probably want to avoid in this discussion. Yeah, Junis is trying to change up that pitch mix. He's going really heavy with that slider usage. I think the problem is he still doesn't have a good, consistent third pitch. It's slider fastball. That's really all he's bringing to the table. You think about guys that go 40% slider and, and, and don't have a good fastball. Uh, Yoli's Chassin is always where my mind goes, and that is a, a really difficult line to walk. So uh, I'm lukewarm on him. I do have him ranked ahead of Brady Singer, I think, in part because Brady Singer's been kind of all over the road so far in his rookie campaign. Not a big surprise, just given uh, that he's making the leap this season from, I think it was from Double A, it was where he stopped last year. But I, I look at <laughs> Bubik and... Something about his profile gives me a little extra confidence. He just got his first win last week against the Pirates, so if you streamed him for that, you were rewarded, so maybe you're even holding on to him after picking him up for that particular matchup. Uh, but I, th I think he can continue to get deep into his starts. He's gone at least five innings each of his last three times out. 
had a couple of rough outings against Minnesota, kind of sandwiched in the middle of his season. But you take the Twins out of the equation, and he's gone five, actually, in five of his last seven starts now. Uh, so you're going to get a, a little bit of strikeout potential. I don't think he's necessarily as prone to the, the short start where he, he basically is his own worst enemy with his pitch count. And I think that's what gives me that little bit of extra confidence in Chris Bubik being the best of the three available Royals uh, in a lot of leagues. Uh, but Cole Hamels is also a name that is on the radar again. He's getting closer to a return. I think this is one where as much as the Braves need him back and, and getting him stretched out in the final weeks of the season is going to be a priority because they definitely are going to want to try and get him into their playoff rotation. I'm not sure he's viable in fantasy leagues down the stretch. He threw three simulated innings on Friday, according to the Athletics' David O'Brien. For me, that means he's not going more than four and change, maybe five if he's extremely efficient in his first start back. But he's not going to pitch until at least the middle of the week. So coming off an injury having some workload concerns, and you know, still not really necessarily being completely healthy. He's coming off a triceps injury, so I think he's definitely more of a wait-and-see for me. Like If he comes back this week and pitches well in a short start, maybe we're having this conversation again next Sunday with some more confidence that Cole Hamels can actually be helpful. Yeah, I think you nailed that exactly. You can't trust him this first time out. Well, you got to see what he is. We got to see how much he can actually pitch, see how stretched out he can get. You just can't play him in, in this first start. And I would bet we're not talking about him, no matter how well he pitches. It just feels like a let's get Cole ready for the playoff sort of thing here for a team that is absolutely desperate for starting pitching with all the injuries it has had this season. I don't think we are talking about Cole Hamels in a viable fantasy way until 2021. Yeah, that's that's definitely where I'm at. Uh, we got a question about a pitcher who's available in some leagues. I didn't put him in the column this week because I had him in, I think, last week. But Davey Garcia is lined up for a two-star week for the Yankees. I mean, of the options we've talked about, I, I think I like him even more than Urquidy, if, if we're going to be honest about just ranking these guys completely. I, I, I have no hesitation with Davey Garcia because he's looked really good in his first three starts. Hard to say that about a 21-year-old with so little experience, but how about an 18-2 to strikeout-to-walk ratio so far in his young big league career? Yeah, I think you're totally right there. David Garcia is the guy who I would feel best about, too, and yes, that also includes Jose Urquidy for me, so that's uh, that's a pretty easy one for me. That 18-2 to looks beautiful, just like I said uh, with LJ Newsom, right? Uh, if we're going to latch on to something in a very, very small sample, let's latch on to you know, strikeout-to-walk, strikeout-to-walk ratio, at least one of those three, and uh, he's got all three, David Garcia does, so I do think that he is a easily trustable guy in this two-start turn here. Victor has a question about uh, Robbie Anderson. He says he has Cortland Sutton and Kenny uh -huh. Galladay. Uh, we'll save that for the uh, the athletic fantasy cheat sheet. Going to be a long stream. day. Yeah, it's going to be a long day. So uh, Victor's very excited for the live stream. Uh, I'm glad. I'm excited for it too. Uh, so we'll get to some more questions as we roll along here uh, on today's fantasy baseball pod. Uh, two start weeks. I mean, I I didn't see a lot of available guys. It was a Kyle Freeland. Oh, no, sorry, that was for this week. I didn't see a lot of interesting available guys this week. I guess Dane Dunning, if he's available in your league, I mean, sure, why not? At this point, unless you're protecting ratios, two-star pitches are absolutely gold. So if you're in a more shallow league, an eight- or a ten-team league, or you're in a league with some smaller rosters, 
Dane Dunning would also be in that conversation. I'd put him behind Davey Garcia in part because that matchup against the Twins is absolutely brutal, but there's also a little bit of a talent gap between those two pitchers as well. Yeah, I mean, 21 strikeouts and 20 innings pitched also for, for Dunning, so you can feel pretty good about the strikeout upside every time he takes the mound. And I'm going to pull it up, but I feel like the one like bad start that he did have, he still gave you a decent amount of strikeouts, which just goes to show that, yeah, it was uh, against the Royals of all teams, uh, and he, he they touched him up a little bit. But uh, he still had four strikeouts in four and two-thirds innings. Uh, gave up three runs, walked four guys, five hits, didn't have his uh, best stuff, wasn't super sharp in that outing. But four strikeouts in four and two-thirds. It just goes to show you that that strikeout upside always goes to the mound with Dane Dunning. So I would be comfortable even taking on that twin start and that tough uh, matchup in his first outing of the week to get the strikeout upside and get the good matchup later in the week as well. There's some other random two-start guys that are kind of available. Uh, Julio Tehran, who has not pitched well so far this year, he draws two. He's got Arizona at home and Texas at home. If ratios are just kind of off the table, they don't really matter anymore. They're already either really safe or they've been completely destroyed. I think you could justify throwing Tehran out there. You don't have to bid a lot to get him. Um, But I don't like him. (laughs) Like the guys we talked about a little bit, I don't really like Julio Tehran in his current form uh, at all, so just be very careful if you go that route. I mean, Antonio Senzatella gets two, but they're both at Coors, and they're reasonably tough matchups, too. (laughs) He's home against Oakland and home against the Dodgers, so that one's pretty low on the list. I'd put that even below Tehran, because even though Senzatella's pitched well this season, Beller, how, how can you trust two at Coors? Yeah. Dodgers, of course. No thanks. <laughs> you, want, you want to see a team put up 20 runs uh, <laughs> yeah, next weekend? Uh, the Dodgers <laughs> might do that in, in Colorado. So uh, Tony Gonsolin lined up for two. The problem there at San Diego, not the picnic that it used to be, of course, mm-hmm. with this version of the Padres offense. And then he is on the other side of that Antonio Senzatella weekend start. He goes against the Rockies. So that takes away a lot of appeal there as well. Uh, maybe you get two from Josh Lindblom because of a doubleheader Monday against the Cardinals. His second start would come against the Royals. Again, these are absolute Hail Marys, desperation right. plays. If you're just scrambling, looking for innings, you can do it, but they're certainly not the best options to uh, consider for the upcoming week. Uh, let's talk about relief pitchers for a while. It seems like a natural segue, right? You go from talking about guys that got to make a couple starts at Coors to <laughs> relievers that you don't really trust. Greg Holland has been really good this year. Uh, I didn't expect to see that at all. And, and Mike Matheny's been really bad to fantasy owners, You know, moving pitchers around a lot in that bullpen. But Holland continues to be the most steady, I would say, of the relievers in terms of overall value because – even when he's not getting saves, and he's had one in each of his last three appearances now, he's used in situations that are high enough leverage to get a win. He got a win in relief, pitching, I think, the sixth and the seventh back uh, on the eighth earlier this week. So yeah, I, I look at Holland, and I think, I don't really know how exactly he's doing it, but they are trusting him with these prominent spots to the point where if he's out there in your league, he's probably the best reliever you could add for these final two weeks. Without question, Ink in his last four outings, a win and three saves, as you said, and those are his last four times to the mound, so you like that recent usage. Uh, in those three outings, you've got uh, two, three, four, five innings and four, six, seven strikeouts without giving up 
anything in the way of runs, just one hits. I mean, you go back before that, an inning pitched where he struck out two guys. The strikeout upside is back with him, and now it seems as though Mike Matheny really is trusting him pretty much every time he goes to him in a high-leverage situation, even if he is not the closer, the pure closer. And I think we should basically treat him that way when you get three straight outings and save opportunities and you convert them all pretty safe to say you are your team's closer but let's just say for the sake of discussion he isn't he's going to be in there in important situations and so you're going to be getting some sort of production out of him that is contributory to your fantasy bottom line easily the best reliever who is most likely available there could be someone in your league specifically who is better than holland but speaking broadly gotta think holland is the best reliever who you could actually go and grab later today yeah rafael dolis Probably a close second, though. Yeah, I would that say. situation's a little more complicated because Ken Giles came back from the injured list on Friday. But in a blowout scenario, Giles pitched, gave up a home run. I think they're going to ease him back in. Delise has quietly been one of the nicer stories of this 2020 season. Back after a four-year run in Japan, had bounced around in a couple of orgs prior to that, really kind of going seven years between big league appearances, 25 Ks now and 21 and a third innings. And like Holland, a save in each of his last three appearances, a pretty nice stretch where he hasn't allowed an earned run since August 12th. Uh, and the you know situation for Dolis is pretty good too. Seven games coming up this week, three against the Yankees, four against the Phillies. So they're not easy matchups, but the Jays are right there in the thick of the playoff race too. So uh, plenty of close games likely with a busy week for Rafael Dolis. You don't love the 12 walks and 21 and a third innings that he's piled up so far this season, but you do love the 25 strikeouts. Uh, Another guy where even if Ken Giles takes the closers back to closers job back tomorrow, which of course we don't expect, Dolis is still going to be giving you something in the way of strikeouts. So because of that, I feel pretty good about claiming him too. And I'd be willing to bet that he's got this closers gig, or at least the favored guy for the closers gig for, if not the entire season, at least the next week or week and a half. So you got to feel pretty good about grabbing Dolis if you can't get Holland. Pretty much just managing everything day to day and and week to week at this point with just two weeks to go. Uh, in the season. Johan Ramirez has been getting some saves in Seattle. We've seen Yoshi Hirano occasionally get those opportunities as well. Last Sunday, it was Hirano. Uh, I think it was as we were trying to bid on players. He gave up a solo home run in that outing, and he pitched in Saturday's game. It wasn't a save situation. It was a scoreless inning, but that was the first time he'd pitched since Sunday, so I don't know if there was some kind of unreported injury there or what the story was, but if Johan Ramirez is still out there, you look at the schedule for this week, two against Oakland, two against San Francisco, and three against San Diego, a nice busy week. Do you think about Ramirez, even though the underlying numbers are very problematic? Yeah, I you know I would think about him. Again, it would be behind these first two guys that we've talked about. But if you still need someone in this context, if you need someone who's potentially going to get saves, if you need someone who you feel pretty confident about just getting innings and having strikeout upside in those innings, I think Ramirez is a fine guy to go after. But it has to fit either one of those or both of those contexts for you. I think if that's not really a play for you, if you aren't desperate for saves if you don't necessarily need a guy who's just racking up innings and getting a couple of strikeouts in those innings then I wouldn't chance it with my ratios Uh, I I would feel okay not claiming anyone over claiming Ramirez if I didn't need specifically what I thought he could bring to the table yeah I I think there's 
total ratio disaster potential here, but you're not really worried about that at this point. You're just mm-hmm. trying to squeeze a few saves out of Johan Ramirez. And look, he's missing bats. 22 Ks and 15 and two-thirds innings is good, even though 15 walks and 15 and two-thirds innings is very bad, very problematic. <laughs> uh, Stefan Crichton and Travis Bergen are now on our radar. I really don't like Arizona's closer situation at all. I was wrong about Kevin Ginkle last week. I thought he was going to be their preferred option to finish out games the rest of the way, and he is actually at the alternate site. So that was uh, late-season fab money that was poorly spent. (laughs) Bergen is a lefty. He doesn't have a very long track record in the big leagues. At least with Crichton, we're talking about a guy who was a strikeout printing reliever last season, doesn't have a major walks issue. He's the righty if they go committee, so I think he'd get a few more opportunities if they split him up evenly, and there's not really any indication that that's exactly what they're going to do. Uh, we saw Crichton get the save on Friday against the Mariners. It was of the two-out variety. Is Stefan Crichton worth a bid in leagues this weekend? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is total save desperation play. That's really all this is here, but... If that's what you need, if you are desperate for saves, then, hey, maybe he'll get some. But I, I wouldn't feel great about going after him. All this is is a, a, a I need saves. He could get some saves. Let's go get him. And he's easily behind the first three guys that we've talked about here. But, you know, you're really attacking specific categories at this point of the fantasy baseball season. So you shouldn't feel bad about it if that uh, if that's what you need. And go ahead and get Crichton. Yeah. It's ugly. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a really ugly group (laughs) of relievers for this week in most leagues, but saves are very clustered in every rotisserie league that I'm in, so even just a couple of saves might be worth multiple standings points, Mm -hmm. and that could be the difference between finishing in the money and not finishing in the money this season. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we void it altogether with excuses like, had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it. With a real healthcare professional who could prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash fantasy baseball and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today and connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to getroman.com slash fantasy baseball today. If you're approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's getroman.com slash fantasy baseball. Getroman.com slash fantasy baseball. All right, Beller, let's talk about the available hitters on the wire this weekend. Actually, a more inspiring group than the the closers, especially. But even compared to some of the starting pitchers we were talking about, I can more easily talk myself into liking all of these hitters in some way. And I don't think that was necessarily true of most of the pitchers we talked about on this episode. I think we had the same sort of dynamic with Leody Tavares that we have with Jose Urquidy in competitive, like deeper mixed leagues. He's already been picked up everywhere. But in more shallow formats, he might still be sitting there. He's been leading off for the Rangers. He's been a regular center fielder now for a couple of weeks for them. Something they kind of desperately needed, too. If you go back to the beginning 
of the season back in spring training. We looked at this team. We were trying to figure out how the pieces all fit and trying to sort out the playing time for a guy like Danny Santana. And he opened the year in center field because they didn't really have a true center fielder on the big league roster. Now they do. That's what Leody Tavares is. He is a legitimate elite center fielder. Speed and defense have always been the carrying tools here. And now we're talking about a guy who's up to four stolen bases on the young season. The thing that's really stood out to me, he's actually hitting the ball pretty hard. Like, there's some flaws. He's making the leap from double A and he's really young. But if you're looking for a guy who's playing a lot, who might be able to steal you a few bases and brings just a little bit of pop to the table as well, Tavares ticks all of those boxes. Yeah, I love the going to play a lot box that he ticks because that is the name of the game, right? You do not want someone who's only playing four days a week uh, as you are making a charge or trying to make a charge in your standings over these last two weeks of the season. He's playing a lot. He's getting a lot of plate appearances, hitting top that order, and he is stealing plenty of bases, getting the green light to steal as many bases as he wants. Another stat, another category that could be pretty clustered in a lot of leagues just given as the few entries that we get into that category. So a pretty easy add. Um, And one where I don't think you even necessarily need exactly what he brings to the table. Obviously you're going to be more interested in him if you do need steals, but there's enough uh, multi-category value potential here where I would be comfortable going with him even if I didn't desperately need steals. Just love the amount of playing time he's going to get the rest of the year. Yeah, that's the, the key for me here as well. He's just a big part of their plan, probably auditioning for that starting job for the start of 2021. I think there's absolutely a chance that he gets it even if he's not leading off for this Texas team to begin next season, I think he's going to be a fixture in center field for a long time for the Rangers. Let's talk about Miguel Andujar. I think his situation is really only complicated by the fact that the Yankees might get several of their injured players back at some point in the next week. If they don't, Andujar plays every day, and I have no doubts about his ability to hit, but he's looking at Gio Urshela, and Aaron Judge, and Giancarlo Stanton all coming back. And for a guy that's been playing between third base, left field, and DH, those are three players who fill all of those gaps. Yeah, I think uh, early in the season, it might have been our first episode. It could have even been when we were still in the doldrums of before the season started. You and I talked about him, and I time-stamped our discussion about him uh, with the line, our kingdom for a Miguel Andujar trade. Like, let's just get this guy out of New York, please, because we know he can hit, and he's just blocked in every single spot. He could have a regular uh, spot in the lineup in New York. So hopefully for 2021, we can get him somewhere else, and we could be talking about him as a fantasy regular. You just got to keep your eye on those three guys you're exactly right once those three guys are back you can't feel great about his playing time but as long as you know one or two of them is out then you can feel decent about his playing time I feel good about claiming him this Sunday knowing that he's still going to have a spot in the lineup for at least uh the the immediate future here and we know what he can do when he is in that Yankees lineup so uh, let's uh, let's give uh, and do her one more run here I think he's got still a week left of fantasy relevance yeah, I was a little surprised to see that he got a day off again on Saturday. There's a doubleheader on Friday, so I wouldn't read too much into him not playing both games there. So uh, assuming we don't get an early activation from more than one of those three key Yankees regulars, I think you do want to put Enduhar pretty high on your priority list for the weekend. Uh, Nate Lowe has been a source of frustration for me going back to last season because I thought he had taken over the first base job a year ago from G-Man Choi. I like the skills. I don't like the situation at all. He homered twice on Friday, so that sort of opens up a lot of eyes. He 
got another start again on Saturday, went one for three, drove in a run, and scored a run. Is this finally going to be the window for Nate Lowe to emerge as a regular for the Rays, or do you still see him getting shuttled in and out of the lineup or at least limited primarily to opportunities against right-handed starters? Yeah, I think the the right-handed starter part of this is the big part of this. And, you know, I think we need to just sort of take Kevin Cash at what his tendencies have been and think that he's still going to get shuttled in and out of the lineup. But as you note in your column, six righties coming up uh, as opponents for the Rays. So would I bet on Nate Lowe's playing time over the course of the next uh, two months if we were in a normal season and we were just this far into a baseball season? No, I wouldn't. But over this next week when they do have six right-handed starters lined up against them, I feel pretty good about it. I think he should definitely be on your radar as you're making bids later today. Yeah, I like the matchups against these righties too. It's Anibal Sanchez, Austin Voth, Alex Cobb, and Dean Kramer to begin the week. So Absolutely, for the first part of the week, I think Nate Lowe could be really productive. Uh, Tim Locastro is another guy that I want to talk about. He kind of fits into the conversation where if Tavares isn't available in your league or if you, you missed out on him or you want, want to put him as a contingency bid behind Tavares in leagues where they're both available, I think that's a really good idea. Uh, Locastro has top-of-the-scale speed. We're talking about a player with a 100, 100 percentile sprint speed. It's rare to see that, of course, and he's 25 for 25 as a base stealer in his big league career, which is just off the charts. I don't remember ever seeing that before. I think we need Jason Stark to do some digging to see if any <laughs> players ever started his big league career that yeah. way. Terrence uh, Gore, maybe? Yeah, maybe Terrence Gore. I mean, <laughs> at this point, LeCastro's playing a ton because after trading away Starling Marte, the D-backs also have lost Cattell Marte to an injury, so playing time is really not much of a concern here. And look, we talked about stolen bases earlier being really clustered. I think LeCastro can help, even though he's a guy that has uh, a lot less raw power than someone like Tavares. Yeah, I think so. If I was if I was that desperate for steals person, I would probably lean toward LeCastro just because of everything you said. If I was the I really could use steals, but I need a little bit more than just that, I would lean toward Tavares. So um, that's really how I am breaking it down between these two guys because I just fear that LeCastro is really not going to bring you anything else. Sort of Billy Hamilton in his heyday when he was getting to play every day and he would steal a ton of bases, but he was doing literally. Nothing else. I could see LeCastro falling into that sort of uh, tendency as well. So both guys who I would feel comfortable claiming if I needed steals, uh, but uh, steals only, give me LeCastro. Steals plus, give me Tavares. Now, if you're looking for power, Tyler O'Neill should bring power. He hasn't really done as much damage as you'd expect this year. As I pointed out in the column, the strikeout rate is better than ever before. The walk rate is better than ever before. The only thing that's really changed in a negative way is that he's not hitting the ball as hard in terms of average exit velocity as we've seen in previous opportunities for him at the big league level. But if you haven't been paying attention to the upcoming schedule, you may have looked past the fact that the Cardinals still have a lot of games to make up. They have three double headers this week, and they play games every single day. So they have 10 games coming up this week, and they've been playing Tyler O'Neill every day in left field. So you could look at this situation and say, even if he doesn't play both sides of two double headers, or even if he doesn't play both sides of all of them, he's got a seven-game week at a minimum, and he's got a chance at playing one and a half times as much as the next highest player on the schedule this week. 
yeah, it's pretty incredible what what the Cardinals still have ahead of them this season. Um, really quick, just to wrap up that uh, that Terrence Gore thought, uh, he ended up having uh, 18 steals before getting caught his first time. Go. So LeCastro, 25, all alone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to, uh, Tyler O'Neill, really this Cardinals team, we've been talking about it for weeks now, about chasing the Cardinals because of how many games they're going to have to make up and how many plate appearances that these guys are going to get, these regulars are going to get. You do have to remember, just keep in mind, seven-inning doubleheaders, of course. So if he's only playing one half of a seven-inning doubleheader, a guy who's been living in the bottom third of St. Louis's lineup probably only gets to the plate three times in that game. You're not getting your your fourth time to the plate basically as a guarantee in these seven-inning games. But uh, still, with the power that we expect him to have uh, and the playing time that is coming his way over this week, a pretty easy claim if you need power. Yeah, let's stay in the outfield for our next player. Let's talk about Edward Olivares a little bit. Uh, The Royals are playing without Jorge Soler right now. He's got an oblique injury, but even before Soler went down with the oblique, Olivares was playing a lot. Uh, He was, of course, part of the trade that sent Trevor Rosenthal to San Diego. We've seen a lot of players that have made the leap from double-A to the big leagues this year because there hasn't been a minor league season, and most of them are showing a pretty significant jump in strikeout rate. That is true of Edward Olivares, but I I like him because he brings power and we saw lots of speed last year at double a I mean, 35 for 45 on the base pass at double a doesn't always translate to that many green lights in the big leagues but it's weird to me that he hasn't contributed in that category yet I think that could still be coming down the stretch I just like this guy as an all-around potential five category player it might be bumpy production in the short term but the key here he's playing and he has ways he can help you Yeah, and I don't think you're too concerned about him not playing suddenly over the last two weeks of the season, first and foremost. uh, Who knows if Jorge Soler gets back. Secondly, uh, this is someone who they traded for clearly to be part of the future. Uh, You know, they uh, they cashed in Rosenthal when they could, and for, you know, a pretty nice price from San Diego, Edward Olivares is someone who could be an important player on a good team at some point in his career. So I, I think that you're pretty safely locking him into this team's lineup every single day. Maybe he gets, you know, an off day here or there. But uh, if they've got however many games they got left, I bet old Edward Olivares is playing all of those with a maximum out of two. So you feel pretty good about the fact that you're going to get plenty of plate appearances. You're going to get plenty of opportunity from him. And I think we, it is bettable that he runs a little bit over these last two weeks. Let's see this entire skill set. Let's see what he's going to be for 2021. Another guy, like you said, this is totally different from the pitcher discussion. Every single guy we've talked about are guys who I could see myself claiming almost no matter what my team, quote, needed over these two weeks. Yeah, and largely, I mean, look, bidding at this point is just all up to what you have left. If you have mm-hmm. some money, spend it, push it up a little bit. If you need steals and you're bidding on one of the stolen base guys, if you need power and Tyler O'Neill's the best option in your league, it's not a big deal if you spend most of your remaining fab on him because there's not that much time left to spend it. Uh, I want to ask you about Jed Jerko. He had a couple home runs in that 19-run outburst for the Brewers on Wednesday. I think the Brewers have scored three runs in the two games they played since, so yay, the (laughs) offense is uh, really firing at this point. Uh, But Jerko has started four straight games, and he's playing more against righties. He was in the lineup on Saturday against Kyle Hendricks. I think he's the primary first baseman at this point. You can use him at both corner spots. Uh, Got some favorable matchups with the Royals coming to town Next week, uh, you get the Cardinals there as well as some doubleheaders. So you're getting lots of games. You're getting pretty nice matchups. Am I overlooking anything with Jed Jerko that would, would lead you to say that he's too risky 
to add from a playing time perspective? I don't think so. I really don't think you are. I think you're probably right, <clears throat> excuse me, about him being the team's primary first baseman over these next two weeks. So I think I would feel pretty decent about him. Again, a guy who, what you like about Jerko and what maybe differentiates him from some of these guys that we've talked about. And again, it's going to be hard to really differentiate between some of these guys. But what we like about Jerko is that we've seen him over multiple years in his career have these stretches where he is a really useful fantasy player. I mean, Jed Jerko uh, is almost always owned for some stretch of a fantasy baseball season. And you hope you get him during his hot stretch or you pick him up when it looks like a hot stretch is starting. And you know that eventually this is going to end and maybe you're dropping him at the end of it. But he is pretty much always owned, maybe even by multiple teams, during an entire season. So this is not something where we feel like he's just catching lightning in a bottle and you're getting lucky here. A guy who has a 30 homer name or a 30 homer season to his name, a couple other 20 homer seasons to his name. The skill set is bettable. We're comfortable with it. And I think you can feel pretty good about what you're going to get out of him the next couple of weeks. Especially with uh, a lot of games at Miller Park on the mm-hmm. schedule too, getting a nice park boost for the upcoming week. Let's talk about one of the catchers that caught my eye this week, Ryan Jeffers. Former second-round pick of the Minnesota Twins. Got to the big leagues in two years, which is pretty impressive. And he's been good everywhere he's played, at least 20% better than league average at each stop in the minors. He's got a couple of home runs already. Now, Mitch Garver's getting close to returning from an oblique injury, but Garver was struggling before he went on the IL Beller. And if you're in a two-catcher league, you're looking for somebody who's in a good lineup, brings power to the table, and a good eye at the plate. I think Ryan Jeffers actually is pretty safe. I think he's inside the top 30 among catchers the rest of the way. I agree with you completely. I have no concerns about his playing time, at least in terms of the fact that he's going to get some. Mitch Garver is the guy for this team when he is back, but this is a team that is certainly headed to the playoffs, and they're going to ease Garver in, right? They're not going to just throw Garver out there and have him catching every single game or five out of every six games uh, when there's only two weeks left in the regular season. He's missed as much time as he has, and he's missed as much time as he has with an oblique injury, and he was struggling before he even went on the IL. That's just uh, two teetering of a cake to throw right in there, to throw right on the uh, beautiful serving dish uh, right off the bat. So (laughs) his team needs him healthy in October. They're going to ease him back in. Jeffers is going to get his playing time. I feel pretty good about him being a guy in a two-catcher league uh, really, really easily, actually. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty excited about him, actually, and curious to see how they're going to split playing time in the future. I think they've got two excellent Mm -hmm. catchers in Minnesota, because I I believe Garver was going to bounce back from that really slow start. Uh, One other player getting a lot more playing time, Josh Rojas. He's come up in the column recently. He's come up on this pod, I think, in past weeks as well. He's got second base and outfield eligibility. It's been a really empty line from him so far. He had time in Arizona last year after they traded for him, uh, getting more run now because of the injuries uh, to Ketel Marte and, of course, the trade of, of Starling Marte. Do you like Josh Rojas? I mean, I feel like you can't write him off based on 50 or so games of inconsistent opportunities for Arizona, but I'm beginning to at least wonder if some of the things he was doing in the minor leagues were the result of being old for the level while he was in the Astros system. Yeah, this is uh, easily the guy I like the least in a vacuum of the hitters we've talked about. Uh, 15-team mixers, perhaps, and I would still probably... Uh, need to be, um, you know, really 
feeling as though I needed some sort of reinforcements. This would have to be all, not. I don't want to say desperation play, but I wouldn't feel great about the ad even if I was going into the ad with eyes wide open and knowing I needed you know a player to add to my team. It's just uh, really a pure playing time and hope situation if you're adding Rojas. Yeah, that's how I look at that situation as well. Now for drops, I think it's getting a little easier to find players to let go. Uh, Cattell Marte could be back with that wrist injury at some point this year, but the Diamondbacks really don't have any incentive to push him back into the lineup. They're long shots to make the playoffs at this point, uh, given the nature of his injury, give him extra time to rest. You know, why Why risk it? Now, I think we'll have a lot of talk about him in the offseason. Where'd the power go? If that's a fair question to ask. Just two homers and 173 plate appearances after he hit 32 a season ago. Uh, we found out on Saturday Matt Chapman will have hip surgery on Monday. His 2020 season is over, so a pretty big blow for the A's and for fantasy owners alike. He, of course, is a drop in redraft formats as well. I mentioned Jorge Soler earlier with that oblique injury. He hasn't been ruled out for the season. Again, a key part of the future, though, and those injuries rarely, rarely are minimum IL stays, so I would err on the side of letting Jorge Soler go if he needed that roster spot. This weekend, uh, the veteran Howie Kendrick has a hamstring injury that's been nagging him all season. He also hasn't played the level we saw a year ago. Nats are in that D-backs position of not really being near the playoffs, so I think he's an easy drop as well. And for some reason, if you've held on to James Paxton this long, it's time to let him go. He's just not <laughs> the guy that, that we wanted him to be this year. The velo was way down, and now Aaron Boone came out, I think, a couple days ago and said there's no guarantee that he's coming back this season. So if you needed that little extra nudge from the team to say, okay, I can let James Paxton go, that nudge has been given. Yeah, I think you're right across the board here. All these guys, none of these guys, uh, I, I bet we don't really see any of them the rest of the season. So uh, it's not even like you're, quote, risking anything with the with these injuries and uh, disappointing years pretty much across the board uh, except for with the exception of Matt Chapman so uh, I would like to I, these are guys who I like I like a lot of them I was on Ketel Marte I was on Jorge Soler coming into the season so hopefully these guys can uh, just get right get healthy over the offseason bounce back and be ready for 2021. Yeah, I think the early report I saw on Chapman is that he's expected to fully recover and be ready to go for the start of 2021, but it's way too early to know for sure, of course. You've got to wait until after surgery is performed to understand if there's going to be an impact on his availability to begin next season. Uh, one more Twitter question that came in. This one came from Thunder McRobert. He or she would like to know, do you have uh, any waiver regrets, meaning do you wish now that you'd gone bigger earlier in the season to maximize playing time, or do you still think the players available now will move the needle enough? I don't think I do. I mean, I was very, I was pretty aggressive early on. I was saying I'm always a pretty aggressive bidder. I, I like to be aggressive early. I think, uh, you know, if you feel good about a player, uh, obviously the earlier you get that player, the more he could potentially contribute to your team. So, I feel pretty good about this, and uh, I, I think you know if there's if there's anything to take away, it's that hopefully we never have to have this waiver um, experience that we had in 2020 ever ever again. <laughs> I don't want to experience uh, anything no. from 2020. Uh, the, the, the unique things of 2020, yes, right? <laughs> I, I'd never want to experience a pandemic again. I just, yeah, it's been horrible. Mm. Uh, I'm grateful that we have sport back. I'm glad we've had a 60 game season. Uh, but I've said this before, I feel like fab on the weekends has just not been quite as 
much of a, a fun exercise. I think it's because yeah. we have to make decisions on players that we generally would have more time to make. So it, it just feels like all of the decisions I had to make earlier in the season with drops and, and trying to assess players, they just felt rushed because of the urgency of a season where you're, every game is worth 2.7 games, right? I think that's part of where that um, reduced enjoyment of fab has come mm-hmm. from on Sundays. I also think, though, part of it is on a nice day in the summer, and since the season started in July, there have been a lot of nice Sundays. The last thing I wanted to do after spending most of my time indoors for <laughs> the previous four months was right. to sit at my computer for four hours and dig in every single corner. <laughs> and I realized, look, it's my job. I do it. It it just it wasn't quite the same joyful experience that it was in past seasons. But hopefully, ads and drops has been helpful. Hopefully, this podcast on Sundays has been helpful because this pod has been enjoyable to host despite the... Uh, the grind in the afternoon, the, the mm. morning pods have been a good time. And if you've been enjoying these pods, you're enjoying everything you're hearing here, you want to get the written version of what we've talked about, you want to get fantasy football coverage, the best team-by-team coverage of major sports in the U.S. and in the U.K., Premier League season is back too, you could sign up for The Athletic at just $1 per month. Go to theathletic.com slash podcast. That is easily the best offer we've had since I started up with The Athletic a little over a year ago. So, for Michael Beller, who you can find on Twitter, at mbeller, I'm at Derek Van Riper on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We are back with you Wednesday for Under the Radar. (laughs) 